Good morning, those of you who are joining us here and those joining virtually. As we join Jesus this morning, he is with his disciples. The Last Supper has just concluded. Uh, Judas has already left to betray him, and he leads his disciples a mile or so to the Garden of Gethsemane. Then, as Matthew records, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus drops eight of the disciples en route to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he brings Peter, James, and John a little bit further with him. Um, he wants them to be closer to him in this time of grief and trouble. He really doesn't want to be alone. Um, from his divine perspective, Jesus knew that he was not alone and that the Father was with him. From his human perspective, though, he doesn't want to be alone. The thing about Jesus that we sometimes miss is that he didn't try to overcome human feelings as if they were a nuisance. Um, he didn't condemn the desire to want company. He understood it in himself. He observed it. He accepted it. And he expressed it to those he was closest to. We tend to allow for Jesus' deity to eclipse his humanity. But the eyewitnesses that record what happened that night, they didn't do the same thing. It says from Matthew's account, he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's a very, very strong image. It has to do with terrible distress and misery. Literally, he was crushed with anguish very strong feelings. Matthew goes on to say, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus' conversation can be distilled into two brief requests that were repeated three times. Take this cup from me, and thy will be done. Take this cup from me. Jesus knows that he is going to leave the world painfully. He understands what the night will hold. He wants to avoid the agonies of the cross, and that's why he asks the Father that this cup of suffering might be taken from him, might pass from him take this cup from me. But that's not the only thing he says. He says, thy will be done. He understands that to save mankind, he cannot save himself. He entrusts the decision to the will of his father, and he knows what that will is. Somebody asked a question of Jesus. They asked him, what, is, what are the most important commands? Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus knows, knows that God's will for the Son is to reflect the love of the Father. We know that God commands love of us as well, and that this is his will not only for Jesus, but all his sons and daughters. Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? We understand what God wants of us. Jesus said, thy will be done. We know that love is God's will for us. The thing that causes us to stumble is that the love that he asks of us is broader and deeper than, than what is most comfortable for us. It's one thing to love the lovable. It's one thing to love us, whoever us is. It's another thing to love the unlovable, to love them, whoever them are. This certainly doesn't come naturally for us. So here's a question. How does God cultivate love in us? Not just the love for the lovable, but the love for the unlovable, the love that is broader and deeper. It shouldn't come as a surprise to us when we think about love, that love is cultivated relationally. How do you develop love to anyone? You have to talk to them and you have to listen to them. You really can't love somebody you don't talk to and don't listen to. And it's the same thing with God. Love is relational. And so there's a couple of things that we do in order for God to cultivate. There's a couple of things that we do that allow us to experience and develop in us the love that God wants of us. That is, we speak to God and God speaks to us. We speak to God, and God speaks to us. Prayer is hard to figure. You know, I, I, don't you think, you know, if we tend to think, why do we need to pray if God already knows what we need? You ever think of that? I'm sure you did. And for that matter, why did Jesus need to pray? He knew the Father's will for him. He knew that he was born in the shadow of a tree, and he knew that he came to die. And yet, he expresses, thy will be done. Um, Luke's version of the evening events reveals something interesting. In Luke's version, it says, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, 
and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus prayed. He was strengthened. And then he grieved and prayed more earnestly. Um, He cried out to his father. We tend to associate spiritual strength with not grieving, with having a stiff upper lip and not letting our emotions out. Strength strength enabled Jesus to grieve. Uh, It didn't enable him not to. The strength he received from the angel, he experienced it, and then his prayers were like drops of blood. This was a pattern in Jesus' life, it seems. The strength he received by expressing his heart allowed him to endure the attention, the tension he experienced, not to eliminate. Let me say that again. As Jesus expressed his heart to God, the strength he received allowed him to endure the tension, not eliminate it. There's no way for Jesus to eliminate the tension that he felt. He's going to need to endure it. And as he expressed himself to the Father, he received whatever he needed to be able to endure that tension. Um, This was a pattern in Jesus' life. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. It says Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. As far as I'm aware, this is the only time in the Bible we learn that Jesus learned anything. We think of needing to learn something as being somewhat of a deficit. But it can't be with Jesus because he was perfect. But he had to learn something. And what he learned was obedience. The word obedience is something that we need to understand. It really comes from two Greek words meaning under and listen. Jesus learned under listening from what he suffered. What does that mean? It seems that in the midst of having stirred up feeling and agitated thoughts, Jesus needed to learn to tune in the Father and talk with him. Would you agree with me that when our feelings are agitated and our thoughts are racing, our mind moves around and and it's hard to focus what Jesus had to learn in those times to tune in the Father and under-listen to him. Jesus was divine and human. This was something he needed to learn. And it's something that he did learn. He learned to tune God in and talk to him. The ability to do this and endure tension was a necessary element in him being a source of eternal salvation. It says, although he was a son, see, Jesus didn't need to pray in order to be a son. He was already a son. He didn't need to do anything to be a son. He didn't need to pray to be a son. 
He did need to pray to be a source of eternal salvation for God's strength to flow to and through him. He had to talk with God. In order to be useful to God, we have to learn to talk to him in times of distress. Um, says, and do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It says, as we express our prayers to God, he dispatches his peace, and his peace guards our heart and mind. What it literally means is to form a protective perimeter and allows our mind to set on what it is we need to do, and it allows us to stay the course. That comes as, it says don't be anxious, but it doesn't just stop there. Pour out your heart to God because he is a refuge. You say, well, he already knows what we need, but still the Bible encourages us to pour out our hearts. It says as we do so, we receive something from him. We receive peace, we receive strength, we receive wisdom. We tap into his love a little more deeply because love comes from talking to God and from hearing him speak to us. God speaks to us. God has preserved his word so that he can speak to us. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. At the cross, God tells us about his love, not his condemnation. Jesus did not, was not sent into the world to condemn the world. He was sent into the world to save it and to communicate God's love to us. Uh, The cross is not about communicating God's condemnation or our depravity. God communicated his love for us at the cross. Um, Also, as you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. The cross communicates something, and God communicated love from the cross by what he did and by when he did it. By what he did and when he did it. What did he do? He sent his son to die for us, and that's a communication, not of condemnation, not of our depravity, but of his love. That's what that is supposed to communicate to us. He communicated his love for us by what he did and by when he did it. When did did Jesus die? He died when we were powerless, when we were ungodly. When we were sinners, and we were when we were enemies, God did not die for us when we were doing things well and saying things right. He decided died for us when we were powerless, ungodly, enemies, and sinners. You know what? 
I think we, would you agree? we like it when God's love applies to powerless, ungodly sinners and enemies like us. Would you agree? We like it when we hear that God's love applies to powerless, ungodly sinners and enemies like us, that he sent his son to die when we were... We like that. You know what we don't like as well? That God's love applies to powerless, ungodly sinners and enemies like them. Them. The people that are unlovable to us, his love applies to them. The cross speaks to them as well. Oftentimes, we fail to focus on God's love because we're too preoccupied with our disobedience. I remember I was doing a, a study on the love of God once, on the character of God, actually, a long time ago. And I started with his love, and I was thinking about his love, and, and my mind rutted back into, well, he's loving, but I'm really unloving. You know, I try to think about his love, but I'm so unloving. And then what, what ended up occurring to me, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't focus on you. The study's not about you. I have trouble being loving. He doesn't. That's what occurred to me. And I remember it happened. I actually didn't put my head down. I actually, when I was thinking about it, kept my head up and I was thinking about it. This is not about my love. It's about your love. Okay. And you love without breaking a sweat. You're unlike me. I remember that. That was very helpful for me. What ends up happening to us? Our disobedience, the things that we do that get in the way, that's our focus. And what ends up happening? I'm looking at this, and I can see this clicker. But everything out there is, is kind of fuzzy. I can only look at one thing. I can look at the clicker, but now if I focus on you, now the clicker is fuzzy. Let this be your sin, black. God's love, what is in your focus? Your disobedience or God's love? You can't see both of them. What God wants us to do, focus past our sin to his love for us. You say, well, but that excuses all kinds of disobedience. Here's the thing that the Bible says pretty clearly. In terms of how God cultivates his love in us, that's really what he wants of us. Would you agree? That's what obedience means. God wants us to love him and others. And here's the deal. We love because he first loved us. Our love is an echo of his love. That's the way it works. So here's my recommendation for all of us. Talk to God and pour out your heart to him. Listen to him. Count, count no time wasted spent either in talking or listening to God, especially with respect to his love, because we love because he first loved us. Our love is an echo of his love. Here's a prayer that I would encourage you to pray. And the worship team's going to come up. Here's a prayer I would 
encourage you to pray. God, reveal your love to me. What do you think? God, reveal your love to me. Because the way it works, we love because he first loved us. You can't reflect what you're not getting. That's the prayer I'd like you to remember as you're leaving here. God, reveal your love to me. Worship team's going to come up. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, thank you for the cross and the empty tomb and what they communicate to us. They communicate that you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You didn't send your Son into the world to, to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. You demonstrate your love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.